Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, a resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii, and I welcome you with love and respect. So welcome everyone. We're going to break into a new dharana today. I'm very excited about it. Um, Gita, welcome. And uh, But with our flow, we're trying to find our flow in this one hour class. And I think what's been working is starting with yoga, transitioning to the philosophy, then meditation. Um, and next week we'll have more time to do a yoga, meditation, and then a bigger discussion. So we'll see how it all flows out. But um, for today, um, we're going to start on our back. We're going to do a little bit of side to side rolling. So make sure there's a little bit of space to your sides. And then we'll be coming up onto our knees. So if you want, you can have a little extra blanket under your knees when you get there, but just make sure you can lay down and you have about two feet to either side. And we're gonna start with something that feels really good. One of my favorite self-massage techniques, it's massaging the occiput, the space that's right. Uh, oh yeah, you can start, um, sometimes I like to have the knees bent and just sort of teepeed together, but you're totally welcome to be in Shavasana legs. But we're going to start by bringing your fingertips to the base of the skull where it meets the neck. You'll feel the occiput is the bony protrusion on the back of the skull. And just below that is where the actual skull, you know, sits onto the cervical vertebrae. And if you give your fingertips just a little bit, you, it's not like you have to press much with your fingertips, but if you stiffen the fingertips a little bit, make them a little bit strong and stiff, the weight of your head can relax into those stiff fingertips. And now you can really connect into your breath. Try to let the exhale totally release that constant hold that's happening, you know, in the neck. And let that head melt into those stiff fingertips. You can lift the head off the floor, maybe two or three centimeters if you aren't already and allow that weight again to just rest into those fingertips. Try different position for the fingertips, walking them a little wider. You'll start to feel some of the sort of seams, so to speak, in the skull where these little, these seams, these fusion points hold a lot of tension walking your fingers you can let the head rest down you can walk your fingers along the sides of the skull and if you feel something intuitive that you want to press into go for it but feel for those seams see if you can feel those little indentions any kind of little indention in the skull is going to have a lot of uh sort of tension that can be released with a subtle pressure as you feel any kind of release happening in the skull, let your forehead melt. 
if you're in a brightly lit room and it's easy to get to the lights and go back down, feel free to dim your lights a little bit. Yeah. You can work your way to the front of the skull, to the um, eyebrow ridge. And you'll find at the middle of the eyebrows, right about where they end at the midline, uh, a nice little indention that the thumbs can gently press up into. And again, you wanna combine this with your breath to allow the release to not just take place on a physical level, but also a neurological level. You have the level of the, the sinuses, the biological level, and of course, an energetic level. You want this to be working for you on a whole, and you can walk your finger or your thumbs out along the eyebrow ridge. And again, use your intuition to find any other little spots where your fingers wanna to drift to without even thinking about it. And if it feels good, that means you found something. It's really that simple. And just another breath or two here. Okay. All right. And from there, you can bring the hands down to the sides and rock the pelvis forward and back a couple of times like we often do. A tucking of the tail, a very slight arching of the low back, and then go back and forth a couple of times until you can hold what feels like a neutral position, which usually requires a little bit of tone on the front of the body to maintain. And from that neutral position, unweighting one foot, that means the foot almost stays on the ground, but it lifts away from the ground to say hello to the midsection, release the weight of that foot, unweight the other foot. Check back in with the midsection one more time, a little tuck, a little arch, and then something that's in the middle. And with your next exhale, unweighting the foot and allowing it to lift an inch or two or three or six or nine. Lowering. And same thing, other side, breathe in. And as you breathe out, unweight, but then walk your attention, you know, up with the foot so that you're with it the whole time. You can bring the right arm up next to the right ear, rolling onto your right side for just a second, rocking a little bit side to side on that right rib cage. <clears throat> just saying hello to the side body. And then falling back onto the back. Left arm lifts up next to left ear, rocking onto left side. Same idea, just saying hello. And then from here, instead of just going to the back, you can fold the arms in front of you. You might do this for fun when you're just trying to relax. 
and you should open yourself like a book and then let yourself just roll over to the other side. So if you're right next to someone, just try to sync your movements up a little bit with them. Sort of coexist and you'll have all the room you need. As you're rolling, you're trying to release tension in the spine and the side body and in your breath. You're using the experience of rolling to release, to actually help you sort of soften, to let your body relax while still engaging. And the next time we all roll to the left side, can pause there for a second. The top arm's gonna push down. You sit up on that one hip, the legs will probably naturally 90-90 themselves. And you just turn away from the legs for a moment. And then the, the, arm, the left arm would glide out. That would bring you back down to the floor. You can float over to the other side and same idea. You're going to lift up, turning away from your legs for a moment, lengthening the spine as you twist. And then here's my favorite thing. Go down, bring that right arm, sort of scoop it under and go down to the floor without bracing yourself, like actually roll down to the floor, roll to the other side and see if you can sweep up without using your hands. And just try to make it an easy flow. <laughs> the last one because it's a little tight in here the next time you roll up you're going to stay up and we'll all reposition the hands around the knee and then back into table all right so go ahead and find a way to be in table so you can sort of move and see and all that stuff okay so same idea just going to say hello to our midsection in table but starting with a little cat cow so as you round the spine, feel the abdominals do the rounding. They're pushing up into the spine. And then try to maintain awareness of the abdominals as you arch the back in cow. So the abdominals are really with us the whole time. They're engaging us into cat. And then they're staying engaged and sort of slowing our descent into cow. The next time you come through the mid middle, just pause for a second and getting a little bit more specific here in order to say hello to the uh, midsection, try to round just the low back and it sort of feels like hollowing out, almost like as if there's a big ball rolling underneath you and you had to sort of hollow the midsection to sort of round just an inch above it. And then usually the upper back tries to round with it, but we're going to sort of lengthen the upper, upper back, like make the heart just sort of say hello, like it's peeking forward through curtains while that midsection stays hollow. It's, it is a challenging movement. Keep the midsection sort of engaged as you allow the back to arch a little bit more to what might feel or what should feel like a neutral spine. So basically you really earned this neutral spine. So let's maintain that neutral spine as we slowly unweight the right hand. Unweighting means it stays close to the ground. And then reweight it and unweight the left hand. You should feel the weight distributing through the knees as well. Now unweight that right hand again. And you can slowly draw it a little bit out to the side, still near the floor, and it's slowly lengthening, and your body's really having to 
sort of compute this. And then the hand comes back underneath the shoulder. Check back in with your midsection and slowly unweight the left hand. It glides very slowly to the left. And then we're back. And then one more time, let's check back in. Low back cat. That means like a hollowing of the mid body, midsection. And then the heart peaks forward to get some length out of our thoracic spine. We still have that low back cat going and we arch the low back just enough to get to neutral. And we've really earned this nice neutral table. Gliding right leg back. Awesome. And then from this glide of the right leg, the left hand floats back out like it was a second ago. And you can actually float it out into a subtle twist. Don't overdo it. Feel the work of the midsection as you're twisting. This isn't just about the twist. It's actually about teaching your body how to twist while maintaining core awareness. Now we're coming back down with the hand. Knee's going to glide back in. Same thing, other side. Gliding left leg back. Pay attention to your midsection as the right hand glides slowly out to the side and it sort of keeps gliding, drawing the torso into a subtle twist. While we still have that nice neutral spine around the midsection. And then we're back down. We'll take one quick break in Bhaktasana. You can fold the hands and rest the forehead on the top of the hands. Try to feel the breath in the low back. Making sure that the diaphragm is online. All right, hands come forward, and we will be coming up to our knees, but I want you to make it slow motion, so the hands drag towards you very slowly as you tuck tail and unroll up towards standing on your knees. The shoulders are going to round back, sort of up and back, and you can just draw them back a few times, alternating your shoulders. We've done this a few times together, unlocking the hips. So the hips crease, they go back, the arms can come forward for a second. And then to come up, we sort of uh, tuck the tail under and roll the spine up. And we come up into this little baby back bend. And then we crease the hips back. Start to work with your breath. And make this your movement. The roll up has a, quite a few purposes. So slow that down. The crease back, feel the tilt of your pelvis. And when you roll up, imagine unsticking the quads. Imagine lengthening across the front body and slowly peeling the heart up. So it's a lot happening. So feel what's happening. Make it your movement. Make it work for you. Peeling up. And as you sit back, do you sit back into a relatively neutral spine or how can you work with that low back when you sit back? Next time you come up, we're gonna stay up. Left leg can come forward. And we'll do the same action, sweeping the arms up, but we're going to bring them back behind the head, very sort of light touch of the occiput where we started. 
and lengthen up through the heart and keep the back of the neck long as you lift the heart up. So feel like you're sort of guiding the head up and lengthening the neck as you're lengthening up and slightly back. This is toning the, the front of the neck, sort of teaching the sternocleido how to maintain length while under pressure. Good, you can un, or it's like it's crease the hips a little more, so bringing the hips back. We'll bring the hands to frame the foot. The heel can get a little massage and we can wag the tail in an easy, intuitive hamstring glide. To switch sides, we're gonna let the foot sort of sweep back or back through table position. A little cat round. Keep the tone of the abdominals, a little cow with the heart peeking forward, tuck toes, easy downward dog with knees bent, a lot of sort of weight in, up in the arms and the shoulders. A little lift at the left foot. It comes up to meet the left hand on the outside of the hand. We're back on the other side, sweeping the arms up. Hands come back to just touch that occiput, guiding. Oh, this is the other side. Oh, okay. Do the other leg, sorry. So just switch them out. Make sure you're doing the other leg, whatever your other leg is. It's okay, I got it. So other leg, and then you're guiding the back of the head up. As you're bending back. All right, pull the abdominals in like a little crunch. Good, we'll fold forward to finish with that intuitive wagging of the tail, heel, massage, hamstring, hello. And then for the final minute, it's on your own. So if there's anything you wanna do, you can rest in Bhaktasana. You can do a complimentary sort of stretch, whatever feels good. We can all start to make our way to our meditation seat. Take your time. All right, hopefully that was refreshing, sort of made some room. If you're feeling sleepy, hopefully got your circulation going. If you're feeling not sleepy, hopefully that down-regulated you. Um, so Dharana 9, which uh, I'm titling for the sake of our discussion, Beyond the Void is Shiva. Beyond the Void is Shiva. Who here has heard Babaji talk about his um, interaction with Swami Muktananda when he said, beyond the void is Shiva? Who's here heard that story? A little bit? Okay. Half of us. So I won't go into it all, all the way, and it's really special to hear it from Babaji, of course. But basically, Babaji once had a, a special satsang with Swami Muktananda in which Swami Muktananda told him, um, 
some meditation traditions feel that the the void is the sort of the goal of of the practice to find this space of nothingness and he said for our tradition beyond the void is shiva that there's not if that's not the end that there's actually more uh, there's an experience beyond that beyond the void and um what we see in this current dharana is a similar teaching in my in my opinion um that when we use our practice to detach from the infinite manifestations of the senses and the mind, we're not left with nothing. We're actually left with more than we had anticipated experiencing. Meaning when we let go of something, instead of having less, we actually get more. And I know that's sort of like a, to be honest, like almost a, a cliche statement. It's like, let it go to receive. But hey, it's real. According to this dharana, it's as far as I can understand the teachings that um, when we are able to let go of what seems to be the object of our awareness, we finally experience the source of our awareness, which as Babaji has actually been speaking about recently, he's been saying a lot about how blissful and how um, sort of beyond words that experience is. So, because um, Abaya has always said, you know, it's really good to, for us to just be able to sit with the dharna before there's any interpretation, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. Let's see where the dharna sits with you. I'm going to bring it up on the screen. I'm going to read through it, and we're going to sit with it for just two minutes or so, just sort of see where it lands. Then we'll open it up a little bit more, and then we'll sit with it more officially later. Imagine the five colored circles of the peacock tail to be your five senses in illimitable space. One more time. Imagine the five colored circles of the peacock tail to be your five senses in illimitable space. Now let their beauty melt within. Let their beauty melt within. For the second half of the starna, it could be helpful to practice an open-eyed soft gaze at some point in the room that you're in. That's up to you. See how you interpret it. Similarly, at any point in space or on a wall, until the point dissolves, then your wish for another comes true. 
similarly at any point in space or on a wall until the point dissolves, then your wish for another comes true. You're welcome to continue in any way you see fit. I'm going to start to open up this, the dharna a little bit with interpretation and quotes. As we see in the text, uh, in this dharna, our mind and senses are described as a type of five-fold mandala, uh, literally described like this peacock feathered sort of tail or fan, fanning out and creating this beautiful experience of reality. It's also in the text sort of referred to in, um, in the sense of a mandala, you know, these geometric images where they're laid on each other, almost like sight and sound and touch and taste are all overlapping and creating the experience you're having in this moment. And our task as yogis is to, to use our practice in order to somehow experience the source of this awareness. We see a method described by Swami Lakshmanju in the, in the commentary um, pretty clearly. And it seems to be sort of pointing in the direction of you know, detaching from these objects in order to experience what's behind them. And so we're going to look at his interpretation of the dharna next. Um, anyone want to volunteer to read it just to save us some time on me picking someone and them unmuting? Yes, Anandama. Okay. And I'll pull it up on the screen here if you all want to read too. You must concentrate simultaneously on the void while experiencing each of these five. That is nothing. It is only a void and nothing else. Then you have to forcibly concentrate that these are nothing, that these objects are nothing. What I see is nothing. What appears to be is, or maybe it's no thing. What I hear is nothing what I touch and what I get as the sensation of smell, it is nothing, it is only sunya. It is only seeing as energy, just seeing only, hearing only, not to analyze that, there it ends. And when I feel smelling, there ends that. At the time of that sensation of smelling, you must end it there. 
You must not go further. You must not go beyond that. So you will avoid being entangled in the world of senses. Thank you, Nanama. Well read as always. Really appreciate it. Mm. Well, let's know that as yogis, we're not trying to, to push the world away and become some kind of cold hermit. We already know that. We know that's a big part of our practice. We know that Babaji and Faith's uh, ashrams are very colorful. They're full of imagery to inspire and spark creativity. So our goal, even though it says nothing throughout it a lot, is not to end in this space of, you know, rejection and like, you know, this cold space. Somehow this process is supposed to open up uh, a, a, an even more colorful world of experience for us. But what is it? What is he? What is he? Why would this process of 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 what appears to be nothingness guide us in that direction? And see if you can answer that a little bit from your experience. Like, see if you can just try what you're thinking real quick. Just try it a little bit like, you know, what does it mean to have the room that you're in be quote unquote nothing? Does that make you feel like separate from the room or does it somehow make you feel closer to your heart? Because when these external stimuli, uh, if they're not pulling you out, then what's happening? Maybe you're going within. He ends the paragraph by saying, you must not go beyond that. Why? He says, so that you will avoid being entangled, entangled in the world of the senses, meaning the one thought leads to 10,000 thoughts. So I see everybody's participating. That's what I do when I'm working with this. Gita, go for it. Well, there are two, uh, and for me, there are two kinds of interpretations. One, you just mentioned it, you can be entangled in your thoughts, which, and then the other one is, uh, you can, it's easily, uh, the glitter of the outside world, if you will, can either be uh, a source of attraction or rejection. So there's a grasping, and either way, you're entangled, whether it's in a thought train or I want to hang on to this pleasant experience or push it away, whichever. So it's a it's a slippery slope. So what is the what for you, Gita? Just curious. So where where does this land for you? Because you're a practitioner. You do this already. We all do this when we practice. So how do you interpret where do you take this in your practice? 
because uh, my habit is um, to be in my head so much of the time. Uh, I have to be careful to that it's to not engage some kind of a story, but to mm. just let it be. I mean, energy arises and falls. If you can just see, for me, if I can just see it as something that's coming up and going down and uh, not in, indulge in a story, uh, there's a different kind of quality, inner quality. Thanks. That I think that keyword of story really brought it home for me. Yeah, exactly. So it's like uh, these become sparks that spark this inner dialogue, and suddenly we're sort of lost in our thoughts. And so we're. It's not that we're almost we're not rejecting the senses so much as just trying to let them be what they are and not multiply them exponentially in our in our heads. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. So this sort of points us to one of those underlying teachings that we come back to a lot in the study of the ancient text, which is, starts with a T. Anybody know what we're about to talk about? The tattvas. The tattvas. So it's almost like the periodic table of yoga. It's the yogic uh, creation, the, the way it maps out creation. So the tattvas are oddly this big egg shape, I'm bringing it up on the screen right now, which is sort of cool and fitting because it's, it's explaining sort of where the, how the universe comes into being. And I, I, we could go into this, this could be a whole course on itself. We just tap into it as it comes up and I'll do my best to just sort of help you out with it. Up here is primordial Shiva before any shape form anything's occurring in the universe you can think of it like the big bang so this first moment is this time before the big bang and then shiva and shakti are the first two uh creative elements although they are eternal and therefore they're not really like these external things but they're in this dance and this dance uh starts to radiate uh and create reality um and then the first things created aren't really things at all they're uh, sort of energetic qualities of like uh, the urge and the knowledge and the action. Uh, these are called the pure tattvas, but those start to give rise to actual things. And we start to have uh, a Maya illusion is developed, uh, this cloak of Shiva. And then we get down to all the way down to the, the personal identity of us, the ahamkara aspect, the, the, our, our person, our, the individualness uh, of, of each being and then all the way down here at the bottom like we've really exploded out from the center quite far we have um the the senses in the mind taking formation and this is talked about in this dharana and in the commentary they it sort of picks up down here uh where basically you see something called the power of hearing the power of seeing the power of smelling but this isn't actually seeing and smelling and hearing like we know it it's almost like the power to do so. It's almost like uh, the the source of the senses, that literally the, the mechanism that's going to make it possible. But even before that, the power of the mechanism, because we go from that a little bit further down, then we have the capacity to smell and, scent and, 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 and see and, and touch, et cetera. 
And then finally, at the very end of all of creation, we have the actual senses themselves way down here at the bottom. I'm going to go, I'm going to zoom in. Oh, it's actually not a zoom in, but it's just sort of what I was just saying. So at the very end of creation, what's really funny is at the very bottom of this whole picture, there's pictures of planets down here that were drawn in the sun, which I think is hilarious because those things are huge to us. But those are like the smallest dust particles of this concept is like the things that appear to us in the physical reality as the biggest things. And that's just down here at the bottom. Um, and so what we see in this Dharna is, is the attempt to, let me just progress my slide for those of us in the room, the attempt to help us see one thing, that the objects in front of you that appear to be these objects that sort of stand alone, uh, like this is a water bottle, it's its, its own thing. Unfortunate, well, fortunately, it's not just this thing you're observing. You are observing it, and then there's this capacity within you that's observing it, and there's a power that's even creating the power to observe it. And if you are able to detach from those objects a little bit, you start to go in, or in the case of the tatvas, up towards a more expansive experience of Shiva. I'm going to stop there. That's as far as, you know, to my understanding, like, because this does come up in the Dharna, that's sort of the most helpful I can, I can make it. That the objects don't exist alone, that you can trace them back within and actually experience their source because the source of these objects isn't out here. It's actually in you observing it. And so this darn is trying to get us to step back and be the observer, be the witness, so to speak, of these objects. So we're familiar with this term surrender. It, surrender is actually quite a gift. The word surrender. Uh, so Swami Rujananda, uh, it, to my understanding, I see that coming up mostly from his satsangs and from his teachings to Babaji and to us. Um, I don't see the word surrender a ton in the ancient texts. I, what, to my understanding, what I'm seeing is that this concept of surrender was something that Swami Rujananda really gave us to help understand this process that's being described here. Because what are we always told? Surrender doesn't mean giving up. Surrender means consciously letting go in order to experience something bigger, right? So in this case, when we consciously surrender this object of perception, and that doesn't mean pushing it away, that's for all of us to figure out, okay? Um, but when we surrender it, uh, we actually would receive a bigger experience in exchange. We would actually receive the, the uh, a bigger source of awareness. We would receive clarity on a situation, for example. You know, when you can really surrender the back and forth when you're having with somebody and just feel where you're coming from, boom, a solution presents itself, for example. Um, and so as we see in this text, there's this amazing juxtaposition happening where it's like, if we can let go of something, we actually receive something, and that's wild. So I'm going to end here with the presentation. I'm going to skip a quote because it's too much. I'm going to end here uh, with this 
sort of final comment from Jai Davis Singh on it. Um, Dharma, are you in a position to read? You want to read this one? Sure. The absolute void is Bhairava, who is beyond the senses and the mind, beyond all the categories of these instruments. From the point of view of the human mind, Shiva is most void. From the point of view of reality, Shiva is most full, for Shiva is the source of all manifestation. Thanks. A little typo there at all, but yes. Thanks, Dharma. So there you see that paradox that we're exploring here, both through the tattvas, through the dharana, through the Babaji's teachings, through Rudy's teachings of surrender. From the point of view of the mind, Shiva is a void, is emptiness. But from the point of view of reality, which reality is in a capital R there, and it means like, you know, Shiva is actually fullness. So as the Dharana is teaching us, if we can let go of the object, we actually start to experience more fullness. So what do you think? Any questions or comments before you sit with it? Yeah. Um, I was, before you put this slide up, was thinking about nothing and everything in that sort of experience of um, maybe the witness or this idea of non-dual experience where if you're nothing, you're experiencing sort of a, an everything type of um, experience. Yeah, absolutely. It just came up this morning. Weren't we talking about that, Shivo? I was telling Shivo, like, man, you've done such a great job in work study. You've just been so such a pleasure to have here. You've been so easy to work with. And he was saying, like, well, I was just trying to really sort of empty my cup, have not have preferences to the best of my ability. And he's, you know, he was like, actually said, like, because, you know, isn't it all an illusion anyway? And I was like, well, okay, well, good for you. <laughs> um, you know, and it's like his ability to like not have like strong preferences for like this is you know to be honest we all know what that means like strong preferences for how life should be at any given time made him really easy and joyful to work with you know and it's like that's awesome like when you can really like be an empty vessel you're you're sort of really fun to be around um but again that's for all of us to figure out what that really means and looks like so I see the clock dwindling and I, my goal, I want to sit with this for sure right now. And remember the goal is take this into your life, take this under your cushion. And next week when we meet up, um, we'll do a little bit of yoga. We'll sit with it right away and then we'll see where it landed for everybody. Um, well, feel free to adjust your seat if it's not already. And let's see if this is possible, you know, through the lens of this dharana. I'll start as simply as we can, just by reading the dharana, seeing where it lands, and then I'll give a little bit of guidance.
Imagine the five colored circles of the peacock tail to be your five senses in illimitable space, unlimited space. Now let their beauty melt within. Those peacock tail feathers are meant to inspire this rapturous beauty, this visualization of something truly beautiful. We are attracted to beautiful things externally, yet we're given this very subtle instruction in the face of this beauty let it melt inwardly. help you with this i prepared a you could call it a sort of a silly soundtrack but i've got some bird sounds that i think are pretty that are pretty and as you hear them let the beauty melt within as always i apologize if the volume isn't exactly on point for for you so be ready to turn it down if that's necessary. Hey, Dharma, give me a thumbs up if you guys can hear it. Okay, great.
Imagine the five colored circles of the peacock tail to be your five senses in illimitable space. Now let their beauty melt within. Let yourself witness the sounds of the birds instead of entangle in them. Step back, just let it wash over you. Imagine these bird sounds as a focal point from which you want to softly blur your gaze. As the Dharana says, to do this practice similarly at any point in space or on a wall or with this sound until the point or sound dissolves. you'd like for the last minute of this track we have a few more minutes to meditate you can let your eyes slowly open and find a focal point that feels fitting but don't stare at it just have it as a gentle space let your vision softly blur and let your hearing softly blur as you step back
similarly at any point in space or on a wall until the point dissolves, then your wish for another comes true. Soften your gaze. See the periphery of your vision as much as you see this point in front of you. And as you're able to have the eyes open, but your attention in your heart, that's when this other point, this other wish comes true. As the mind drifts, the vision tends to drift. And so keeping this expanded vision is sort of a nice litmus test for keeping an expanded awareness. We have this gentle focal point, as Babaji often teaches us. Yet we're not staring, we're, we're seeing without staring. As he put it on Monday night.
how does it feel to see without staring? You know, this is an example of this void space. Is it empty? Is it lacking? Or is it somehow full? This is the living paradox that we can only understand through practice. How can surrender and letting go fill you up? And as the dharana concludes, when this point dissolves, when this object dissolves, when this attachment dissolves, then your wish for another comes true. And so to finish, you can let the eyes close and, and just absorb the merit of your practice. Hey everyone, thanks for your participation, meditation, sure. and remember next week we'll, we'll be talking a little bit more about this, so please come with something to share, announcements, uh, if you've ever wanted to realize the depth of a yoga practice as it can teach you meditation functional movement as it can teach you to be more natural in your daily life um, now's the time this saturday we've got our level one yoga training starting uh if you know of anyone it's live online once a week and it can transform the way you move and the way you meditate so we'd love to have you or someone you know uh, email us and the final announcement is we also have our wisdom upper level training um, which is a, a beautiful way to get to know all the movement lines and movement patterns uh, in, in sort of like the natural movement patterns that we use. Anyway, thank you for that. Namaste and all Monday night, if not. Donald, Cameron, John, Zoe, Gabby, and Apurva. Thanks for being here. DJ Ram Kazuo.
Dharma Sahid Annapurna for us. Tila, hair down, in relaxed mode, Jesse. 